I thought we were going to break this up. I thought these verses were going to be one message, but uh, once I got into my study, I realized that this is actually two sermons. And uh, we're not in a college class here, so I'm not bound by restrictions or time or anything like that. I don't have to get through with the book of Philippians in 26 you know, sessions or anything like that. So uh, I can we can just go about it however we need to. So Philippians chapter 2, I do want to read the three verses together. And uh, in fact, I want to read more than just three. I want to start with verse number, verse number 12 and read down to verse number uh, 18. And uh, tonight we see our fifth example of joy in the book of Philippians. Joy in the book of Philippians. And uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 12. Okay? Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not, uh, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Holding forth the word of life, he says, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and will and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. There in those three verses, 16, 17, and 18, you have five mentions of the word joy or rejoicing and we have been studying again through this book topically we have gone through it already expositionally verse by verse but now we're going back again through it topically and studying out the different ways in which this particular epistle uses the word joy or rejoicing and so far we have seen uh, five now we're on our fifth different way of this. We saw three examples in chapter number one, and last week we saw uh, our fourth example, and that is there is joy and unity in the church. Uh, there's joy through unity in the church. And tonight's message is that where there is joy in seeing others grow in their faith. There's joy in seeing others grow in their faith faith. Um, I'll read it again, but maybe right now would be a good time to read this verse that is at the end of the message. It says in 3 John 1, 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. That is a great joy to see somebody walking in truth, following truth, and serving and continuing to serve God. There is joy in watching people grow in the Lord. There really is. It's a joy. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 16, 17, and 18 are kind of, if you will, the nitty-gritty of the ministry. These verses describe uh, the highs, and they also describe the lows of what it's like to work for the Lord. Paul says that uh, I could rejoice, or I could be laboring in vain. The ministry is not always easy. It's not always pleasant. 
but it is also, at the same time, can be very rewarding and full of joy. Paul sums up for us the ministry that he had in Christ, and we see here in this passage that he says that joy is rewarded or taken away based upon how people respond and how they live out the gospel in their lives. Now, sometimes you might have heard this before in some sermons or some teachings, and I understand what, where it's coming from, and I've said it myself, that sometimes we think, and sometimes we may word it like this, that joy is independent of our circumstances. But the scriptures do not necessarily teach that all the time. I understand my joy is to be in Jesus. Amen? That's where my joy is founded in. That's We started off like that and just made it clear that our joy, our rock, our bedrock of joy is founded in Christ. But we must also be honest with ourselves and be honest with the scriptures. Paul says that his joy can be affected both positively and negatively by the behavior of other people that are around him. That's what this passage is teaching. If these folks in Philippi were to turn back on their faith, then that would negatively affect his joy. That would bother him. And rightly so, amen? It should. If they continued to follow after Christ, then he would have feelings of happiness and rejoicing, and if you will, even boasting in Christ. This is not the only place that Paul says this. In fact, take your Bibles over to Galatians chapter number uh, 4 and verse number 8. Uh, here in Galatians, he is a little bit even more harsh because some in Galatia had turned back. They had gone back into the ways of Judaism in which Paul had led them out of. And he says in verse number 8, he says, How be it when you knew not God, and you did service unto them by nature are no gods, but now after that you have known God, or rather known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. There it is. Verse number 12. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know that through the infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. He's talking about some injury that he received. He wasn't at full health, but yet they still listened to him. They still gave him attention. Though his mind, or though his throat, perhaps, his voice was not uh, strengthened, his, his uh, oratory skills were not probably perfected like Apollos's, but, uh, and his back was probably hunched, but nonetheless, they still heard him, and they were kind and gracious to the apostle. Verse 15, he says, Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and had given them to me. I am therefore, be, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, the false prophets and apostles do, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you, that you might affect them, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you, my little children of whom I have travail and birth again until Christ be formed in you. How many of you women would say that travailing in birth is a fun and pleasant and joyful experience? 
Now the afterwards is, you know, there's joy when a man child is brought into the world, but the experience of the birthing part, he says, is it's terrible, it's travail. He says, but I'm having to travail again. I'm having to reteach you some things. I desire to be present with you and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Wow, those are powerful words, aren't they? Those do not sound like joyous words, do they? They were not. In fact, if you went over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 11, you would find that Paul, again, says even words that are even uh, more heartbreaking. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 11, he says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you and our hearts is enlarged. Our heart is enlarged. You are not straightened in us, but you are straightened in your own bowels. We don't understand that passage too much sometimes because we don't understand that we're straightened. Because what it means, it means constricted. He's saying that our hearts are open to you and, to, and our love is open to you. But your, your love is narrow and fine and, and restricted. He says we're not straightened in ourselves, but you're straightened in yourself towards us. We love you greatly. You love us little. If we want to put it in a simple way. We love you We love you with an enlarged heart. You love us with a small heart. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be also enlarged. Would you love me as much as I love you? He's telling the Corinthians. You see, the ministry brings about itself great rewards of joy and peace and uh, great fruits and uh, brings about souls and baptisms and and, and churches and all the rest of it, but at the same time, in the ministry, there is pain, there is sorrow, there is grief, and joy can be depleted out of a minister and a preacher, out of a mom or a dad, out of uh, out of a Sunday school teacher, because of the way that somebody has not lived up to the faith that they had believed. But I believe better things of you, my brethren, as Hebrews says. Uh, you are not those that turn back, I believe. <clears throat> it says here that this gospel was Paul's joy. That's what he had a great joy in presenting. Now sometimes we restrict our view on the gospel too. And I believe, and I've said it a hundred times, that the gospel is simple. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, plain and simple. But as we grow in our faith, we should understand that the gospel does not just include those things in the sense that what the Bible talks about, but the gospel or the gospel ministry goes beyond that. We ought to be living out the gospel. The gospel should be affecting and changing our lives. The gospel is broad in the sense of what it does to us, not what we do to the gospel. Amen? What the gospel does to us, how it changes us, you might have, this was an old term back in the day. It was called, uh, some people said, they have gospel living. Remember, they have gospel living. I mean, the gospel changed them in a way that, that's been seen on the outside. Paul's concern was for them that not that they just be saved. He's not concerned with that in Philippians. He calls them my brethren, my brethren, my brethren. He knows they're saved. He's worried that they will not live out the gospel that has so affected and changed their lives. Will we live out the gospel? 
When we live out the gospel, it brings great joy into the lives of others. Great joy. But when we don't, when we do not follow in the steps of Jesus, uh, it hurts others. Uh, when we forsake, uh, when we should be forsaking our old way of thinking and living by faith in the Lord, when we should be not snapping back at our spouse uh, whenever they say something we don't like, but living out our relationship with the Lord. Paul would have us to not go back on our word, but to say what we mean and mean what we say, to be truthful, to be honest, to be helpful, to be encouraging, to be generous in our giving, and that we would not complain about everything, but that the gospel would completely change every aspect of our lives. Some people think that the gospel just changes my routine on Sunday. But the gospel should change everything about your life. Everything. And if there's a portion of your life that you're not allowing it to change, then you're being disobedient to God. Because the gospel should change, it should impact, it should invade every spot. Amen? Every spot. You ever seen, uh, you ever seen a, maybe a glass full of sand? And you just think, uh, man, you can't fit anything else in there, right? You know, I've seen it maybe going, going from, a, from a, maybe you have, a, you have a glass and it's got two big rocks in it. You think, man, nothing else can fit in there. And then you take some water and you pour inside of it. And then somebody has a glass full of marbles and you think, oh, nothing can fit in there. You put some water inside. And you take a glass full of sand and you think, oh, nothing can fit in there. And you put some water inside of there. You see, the gospel is like water. It should invade every single nook and cranny of our lives. You know what? That's the glory of the gospel too. Amen? It's always invading every part of our lives. Because there's a part of our life that it hasn't gotten there yet. You know why? Because some of you are not 50 years old yet. Some of you are not 60. Some of you, I don't think anybody here is 80, so, all right? Well, we'll make sure we can include everybody here, all right, tonight. The gospel should invade every aspect of our life. We're always changing. There are new, uh, there are new trials and temptations on the horizon. So let's tonight see that there is joy in seeing others live out their faith in Jesus Christ. And let us notice how this works out, works itself out. Let us notice, first of all, we see spoiled joy. Spoiled joy. There is a lack of joy when you sacrifice for others and help others and then they stop holding forth the word of life. Joy can be negatively impacted by backsliding and uncommitted following of Jesus Christ. Not only for those that are not following, but for those that have invested in those that are now not following. There is joy, there is no joy in a person, in a church, in a couple that turns their back on following the Lord. A man or woman that professes Christ yet stops holding forth the word of life is really a depressing and disappointing circumstance and joyless experience for any preacher, teacher, or yes, I even say church member. 
Some have said this. Uh, some, have, some have once said that uh, they're happy for backdoor revivals. And I understand what they mean by that. Anybody ever heard of a backdoor revival? Anybody know what that means? All right, I'll define, I'll help it define. That means, it means uh, that there's a group of people that are causing problems and they leave the church. All right, they go out the back door. All right, it's a backdoor revival. All right. And so now we got revival in the church because the, the, the bad crew has left. You know, we got backdoor revival. Uh, and I understand what that means. And uh, there are sometimes, there is, there, there, there may, uh, there may every once in a while be, uh, be a heretic in that tries to sneak into the church or something like that. I understand that. But listen, folks, we should never, we should never, never be happy to see someone stop following God. I should, I, that, that never makes me happy. Oh, there's less problems now, Pastor. Yeah, but it would have been better if they were repented. That would have been better. The, 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 the better is not to leave. The better is to repent. The better is that somebody would pray for them. The better is that they would get right with God and see uh, the disadvantages that they're bringing about on their family and the offense that they're bringing to the church and the hurt that is even causing to their own lives. I'm not happy to see anyone neglect the Savior. That never thrills my heart. I don't care who they are, and I don't care how many problems they've caused me, as it never, ever, ever, ever makes me happy to see someone neglect the Savior. Because listen, folks, this thing that we're doing here called the church and the gospel is bigger than you and me. It's much bigger. It's much bigger than Scenic Hills Baptist Church. It's much bigger than any mission organization. It's much bigger than all the missionaries and all the churches combined because Christ is the head of the church and it's all about Jesus, my friend. We ought to be hurt when we see somebody that doesn't come to the Lord's house anymore or hurt when somebody steps away from following God. It brings me no joy for the pastor. It brings me no joy whenever you invest time, money, and prayers and teaching and more prayers and thoughts into the lives of people that turn around and then do not follow God. There's no joy in that, my friend. There's no joy in that. I get no joy out of that whatsoever. None. Zero. Paul is saying in our text here in Philippians chapter number 2, in verse number 4, in verse number 16, he says, holding forth the word of life, that in order that, for the purpose that, I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. I was meditating on that thought right there, and I was thinking, you know, we've really come to a day and age today of very much selfishness, have we not? Very selfish. You know, some, I, I was thinking that this message probably would not resonate too well within uh, some churches or some societies or in some groups to say that, uh, that, that you should, your obedience and you should be obeying and you should be listening and you should be following God so that the persons and people that are teaching you and investing you and putting time into you could be happy over that. Some people say, oh, I'm just going to be living my life for your happiness. I'm living, listen, my friend, we ought to take pleasure in giving others joy and happiness. 
But people don't want to give people joy and happiness. They want to be joyful and happy. They don't, they don't want to give their parents pleasure and joy and happiness. Though their parents have invested in them and changed their diapers and, and helped them out. Just like a parent has no joy who invests their time, money, and effort into a son or to a daughter that becomes a drug addict. There's no joy in that. There's no joy in that. A parent has no joy to see their kids strung out on meth. They don't have any joy in that. That doesn't produce any, any, uh, any happiness in their life. There's no joy in a parent that raises a child for the Lord and then they turn on. There's no joy in that. He that wasteth his father and chaseth away his mother is a son that causes shame and bringeth reproach. There's no joy in that. Listen, uh, and I know I've got a few kids in here tonight, or listen, and even if you're not a kid here tonight, we're told to all honor our father and mother, right? Amen? As in, listen, you ought to say, you know what? What can make my mom and dad happy? What makes them happy? What brings them joy? What brings, my, what brings my pastor joy? What brings my pastor's wife joy? What brings my teacher's joy? What brings my authorities in my life? What brings them joy? What brings my wife joy? What brings my husband joy? What brings, instead of thinking, what brings me joy? Right? Yeah, I mean, that's the way our, uh, that's, see what I'm saying, is that the gospel affects every portion of our lives. It dives down deep. Or a teacher at school who invests her time into teaching a student who then doesn't try and fails their test because they don't do their homework and they waste their time spending on video games. There's no joy in a teacher like that. She has no joy. We have been taught that joy is in Jesus, and it is. I'm not debating that whatsoever. But that, that, that does not mean that joy cannot be hindered in our lives by the actions of others. The question you should ask yourself, though, my actions hindering the joy, the happiness, the peace of other people? Is it hindering that? Is it stopping that? The actions of others had a profound effect upon Jesus Christ in the garden, did it not? Do you think Christ's joy was somewhat affected when he sweat great drops of blood and cried and begged God? I say this to exhort you, that your life matters. Your life matters. You might think to yourself, my life doesn't matter. You're wrong. Your life matters. Your life is important. Your life can bring joy and happiness and peace to other people. People love it to see whenever somebody that has professed to be a Christian lives out their life. We do not often talk about these things or like to hear about these things, but this is real stuff. Your life and my life affects others. Do you think there was any joy in the church whenever Ananias and Sapphira lied to God and were killed? There was no joy that day. Oh, it was going well, wasn't it? I mean, joy. I mean, they were rejoicing in joy of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says in Acts chapter uh, 4. But in Acts 5, joy left the building over the actions of someone. There was no joy in the camp of Israel whenever Achan uh, stole those things. 
There's no joy in the church when a husband leaves his wife for another woman. Can there be joy in the church when a member who was once faithful, loving God, and then suddenly stops serving God and turns their back? Is there any joy in that? None. None. Can you imagine Paul? Take for a moment a little imagination, if you will. Paul traveling church to church, going from place to place. Sometimes it would be months, sometimes years before he would get back to the next, to that church again. Imagine walking into church on that Sunday morning, whenever the believers met. And he looks around the church and he sees, and he says, where's Urbane? Where's Trypho? Where's Trypholus? Where's Trypholus? Oh, Paul, they stopped coming to church about six months ago. I bet Paul went to find him, don't you? You know, though, I bet Paul had no joy in making that call. That wasn't happy for him to make that visit. See, we've got to realize that our actions have consequences, folks. It has consequences in your family, in your school, and it has it in the church. <laughs> Actions have consequences. You think, well, I'll just live my life wherever I want to live, and I'll just kind of do whatever I want to do. This might seem a little harsh, but in some ways, if you go too far with that, you're just kind of spitting on somebody that's invested time in you. You're kind of kicking up dirt on somebody that's prayed for you and loved you helped you, a mom or a dad that's been there for you, a pastor or a pastor's wife that's been there for you, a teacher that's invested their time in you, a husband that's loved you, a wife that's been there for you at every, at every moment and at every turn, and, and yet you say, well, I don't need to do what they have to say. I don't need to listen to them anymore. That's just all fuddy-duddy religion stuff. No, that's disrespect is what that is. And that brings no joy. No joy. Whatsoever. I may rejoice in the day of Christ. I want to rejoice, he says, in the day of Christ. That I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. In vain. I pray that this church and this ministry and my preaching and my pastoring is not in vain to your life. That 15, 20 years from now, you just kind of get mad at the church or you move because of your job or something and something else happens and you just kind of stop following God. So everything we've learned here and everything we've taught here and everything we've tried to put into people here. And this message is, I know that I know we've got a small crowd here tonight. We're not, we're not, we're a little lower than we normally lower than we normally are. 
But just ask yourself, do I want to be somebody that's just going to throw it all down the toilet? Have we labored in vain? Prayed in vain? Listen, I would rather I would rather travail and birth again over you than have to labor in vain. I'd rather start from day one and work with you again. This life is serious. And the gospel affects every portion of it. He says in verse 16, holding forth the word of life. But the positive is this, that I may Rejoice in the day of Christ. What's the day of Christ? The day of Christ is the judgment. It's when Christ comes down and uh, brings out his church and we're brought up to him to ever be with the Lord. I read that passage in 1 Thessalonians today to the uh, to the to the mourners there at the funeral. And we we don't sorrow as those that don't have any hope, amen. I told them. And those that were saved looked at me with smiles of, of resignation on their face and shook their head yes, because they said, yes, you're right. We're not sorrowing out of the fact that we don't have any hope. But here's the thing, is there's coming a day, it's called the day of Christ, and it means several different things, but one of the things that it means is this, is that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and that when that day comes, when we all stand before the Lord there, is that there is a picture, not only here, but in other places of the Bible, that lets us know that it won't just be a single solitary judgment, it won't just be one day in which some of us will just be in a room by ourselves and there we are. But I believe that in that day that we'll stand before each other and we'll see these things. And he says, I may rejoice in the day of Christ. I may rejoice. That when that day comes and you're brought before the throne of God to be judged in that day, not for your not for your salvation, no, no, no. You're judged based upon your works. And when that day comes and God reveals what you have done for Him, that I'll be the first one right there to clap my hands and say, praise God and rejoice in the Lord. Because you've brought somebody to Christ. Because you led somebody to the Lord. Because you took what was from here and you took it to here. And then you took what was here and then you took it out there. And then you took it in your home. And then you applied it to your life. And you let the gospel affect every area of your life. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That all of us can have joy in the Lord to know that we did not labor in vain. But in that day, we'll have great rejoicing. Not just to see people serving God here, but to see them serve God there. To see them on the other side. That will be a blessed day, won't it? That will be an awesome day. To rejoice with those that are the redeemed. May God help us to be those that hold forth the word of life.
hold it for. I wanted to say more with this tonight, but I didn't know that the point number one was going to take that long. I've already spent about 40 minutes on it, so I have another three pages left for you. So that's another hour and a half. So anybody up for it? I'll put you under the gun. All right, tonight. And uh, but I'm thankful I can rejoice. Listen, I've got some, there's some folks that I'm looking at right now that I'm rejoicing. And I've seen you grow. I've seen you, I've seen God work in your life. And you stay in faith. Just keep staying faithful. Don't give up. Your walk is encouraging to me. And if it's encouraging to me and it brings me joy, I'm almost certain that it brings others joy also. In my little walk, I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just a little mom. I'm just a little, I'm just this, or I'm just, listen, it doesn't matter. You're a Christian, and you're living like one. Praise God. We all rejoice. Father, we're thankful.